Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tivaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness, club, the wellness community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, we know that Mother's Day and Father's Day are right around the corner, and, and children of all ages are joyously making plans to show their parents their love, their admiration, appreciation with gifts, with gatherings. But if your parent is living with cancer or has died from the disease, these holidays can be challenging, bringing with them feelings of sadness and loss. Today, we're going to meet photographer Nancy Borowick, whose parents were both diagnosed with stage four cancers and died of their diseases. Nancy documented their cancer journey, and those photographs appear in her book, The Family Imprint, A Daughter's Portrait of Love and Loss. Nancy Borwick is a photographer currently based on the island of Guam. She is a regular contributor to the New York Times and has also been featured in the International Herald Tribune, CNN, National Geographic Proof, Time Magazine, The Washington Post, and Newsweek Japan. She has been awarded second prize in the long-term projects category in World Press Photo, the Arnold Newman Prize in New Directions in Photographic Portraiture, and the Eddie Adams Workshop Award in Innovation and Visual Storytelling, as well as the as well as the honorable mention in the NPPA Best of Photojournalism Competition in the Contemporary Issues Story category. Welcome to our show, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, Nancy, I'm not sure I've ever met someone who's had both parents in treatment for cancer at this at the same time, but really particularly stage four cancers um, at that. W- you know, with what cancers were your parents diagnosed and, and what was their, sort of their prognosis at the time? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. So my mother was in treatment for stage four breast metastatic breast cancer. And this was actually the third time with the diagnosis over the course of 18 years. Um, and so she was already, she was sort of already in treatment, um, continually. And mm-hmm. my father was diagnosed, um, kind of by chance with pancre- stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, and because my mother was already in treatment, he just sort of you know, he went with her to her treatment and started his own. Um, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it was my, I, nothing about it made any sense to me. No, I bet not. I bet not. So, so at that time, when they were both dealing with the with the stage four cancer, what was going on in your life, and and what was the impact of that? Um, dual diagnosis. I mean, you, you know, you're like, imagine you're sort of like, what is happening here? How do you even start to, to, to deal with that? Was it just shocking? Yeah, it was completely shocking. My universe was sort of flipped upside down and I, I didn't quite know how to be useful and helpful, but fortunately I lived only about an hour away. So I just, mm. I would go home and spend time with them and help them as much as I could while they were kind of caring for each other, but also caring for themselves. Um, it was, you know, our roles as parent and child were sort of dancing in, you know, in different ways because, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm now in my early thirties and, and an adult. So I was able to help them as much as they would allow me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when did you make the decision to document their journey in photography and, and why, how did you, how did you come on that decision? Well, as a photographer, I spend most of my time experiencing the world through my camera. And when I was spending time with my parents, I, I was struggling to be present and be there without completely falling apart. So it was this, it was pretty organic, me picking up my camera and, and sort of starting to tell their story without thinking about it like I was telling their story. It was just sort of this, this like crutch that I leaned on. Um, and, and, and it just sort of all happened, um, or like I said, organically. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about it like it was a project. It was sort of a personal journal to help me better understand what was happening in front of me. Um, but yeah. that also, it also allowed me to, to then be able to be there without, like I said, without completely falling apart so I yeah. could be useful. You know, I could help them. I could advocate for them. I could drive them if, if, if they would allow me, but they were, they all both also wanted to be as independent and, mm-hmm. you know, as possible. They didn't want this to define them and define yeah. their lives. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that some people might not be so enthusiastic <laughs> if they're diagnosed with a stage four cancer about being followed around, um, uh, you know, with uh, w- with the camera. Um, did you have to work hard to convince your parents to do that? How did they react to the idea? How did you even present it? Uh, no, I surprisingly, I did not have to work very hard. I think the idea that my, my parents sort of looked at this like, you know, what did they have to lose? And if in some crazy way, sharing their story helped, or if in some crazy way, letting me photograph them helped me get through this whole situation, you know, they're my parents. They were obviously thinking about me, one of their kids, which they were unbelievably selfless and, um, and allowed me that access. It, it obviously at first it was, um, a bit challenging because they are my parents, but I have been photographing them forever. And it, yeah. um, and it took a certain amount of me spending time with them to, for them to get more comfortable because at that point I was, you know, they were empty nesters and here I was back at home and all they mm. wanted to do was hang with me. And all I wanted to do was blend into the background and observe. Uh, mm. but they were, they were pretty open from the get go. Uh, and we've always just been very open with each other. And so I just, you know, I sat down and I explained to them why I wanted to do it and the parameters and, and, and they were really receptive, which was really, I was lucky because not, I've heard many stories where people, most people's family members are not comfortable with this. So. Yeah. I imagine. I imagine. Hey, Nancy, tell us, tell us your mom's name and tell us something about your mom. Ah. My mom's name is Laurel. Uh, her her birthday just passed. She would have been sixty three years old, mm-hmm. and she was amazing. She was beautiful. She was smart. She was thoughtful. Um, just you know, she was the kind of person that on my birthday as a child, I would uh, wake up and my room would be covered in decorations and presents. Like she she loved to be a part of other people's joy and she cared about us kids, you know, with every bone in her body. Um, I, and often people say they see old pictures of her and they, they, they comment that I look, you know, I look a lot like her and mm-hmm. I love that. I hold on mm-hmm. to that because I, I feel like I carry her with me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and how about dad? 
Oh, Dad. <laughs> Dad was a character. I, you know, I was really close with him uh, growing up because I was an athlete, and he, before becoming a lawyer, he had dreamt of being a gym teacher, and so we were we had that competitive spirit together. He was hilarious, and he was he was very black and white, and he was an open book. And I think I get some of those qualities from him. He he wanted to share his story, especially he he grew up um, with his relatives because both of his parents died of cancer when he before he was even 15. And so he he just was, you make eye contact with him, he'll tell you his story. So mm-hmm. I like, I, the more I reflect on my parents, the more I realize how much I've become, <laughs> become like them. <laughs> what was his name? Oh, sorry. His name was Howie Borowick. Uh, and he was, uh, he was 58. You know, um, Nancy, there's a great book. I, you know, I want to encourage our listeners to to check out the book, and we'll tell them where they can do that. But there's a, a great um, story behind the needlepoint image um, that's on the cover of the book. Can you describe that image for our listeners and tell us that story? Why did you pick that for the cover? Sure. So the cover of the of the book is a needlepoint that my father made for my mother mm. um, around the time of their wedding in 1979. And my father loved to needlepoint. And he was very he was this like very macho like guy. And, and so it always surprised people that he had this sort of softer side or, you know, cre- even creative side. Um, and uh, so when we were cleaning out the house, uh, after both of my parents had passed away, we found this needlepoint, mm. and it just—it was such a—it was such a gesture of love that he that he made it for her because he only made needlepoints for people he cared about, <laughs> and it actually includes like all these different pieces from their history together, and and there they are standing underneath the chuppah. Um, you know, my dad, I can see his like mustache, which I guess he had in the seventies and my mom with her like amazing hat that she had, she had borrowed that outfit from, um, her sister-in-law. And mm. I just, I love it. And I, the book is, uh, the cover of the book is very tactile it, it, mm. intentionally. And yeah. I mean, as we speak, I'm, I'm touching the, I'm touching the cover. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, I wanted this book to feel like a, like a family scrapbook. I wanted to invite you in, you know, and that was my, it was very intentional. You accomplished that for sure. I can (laughs) tell you that. Nancy, we've got a couple minutes till our first break here, but you've, um, you've described your camera as a therapeutic tool. How did it help you cope? Looking back, do you think the photography made you more present during a difficult time or did it create maybe a protective wall, uh, you know, uh, around you to kind of, you know, kind of keep you safe and maybe a little distant? Tell us about that for a minute. Well, I think it was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew, I, I realized pretty quickly that my camera was, it, it, it was this tool that allowed me to be there. It allowed me to try to understand what was happening, but it gave me not only, um, you know, like a physical distance, but it, it allowed me to kind of go into my head and into like photographer mode and, and that, and work mode. And it kind of, that helped me <laughs> separate a bit. I used to say, I, I used to always tell people, you know, it is therapeutic and for all these reasons I could describe, but it wasn't until actually I was at the hospital one day and I put my camera down because I, I thought, you know, I've taken this picture a thousand times. My dad was having his blood drawn mm. and I'm staring at his arm as the nurse is struggling to find a strong enough vein. And mm. the next thing I know, I was escorted into the room next door. I'm pretty sure I fainted mm. or, or I was about to faint. And I mm. thought to myself, why in this moment <laughs> did, mm. did I? 
mm-hmm. finally have this physical reaction. And I realized, wow, it was because I put my camera down. It wasn't this barrier protecting me from my, the reality I was living. And that's when I realized just how much I was leaning on it and how important it was to my own, you know, my own ability to be strong and, and, and be oh, present with them. Yeah. An extension of you really. And oh, a thousand yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer today. We're meeting photographer, Nancy Borowick, whose parents were both diagnosed with stage four cancers around the same time and both died uh, of their diseases. Nancy documented their cancer journey and those photographs appear in her book, uh, the family imprint, a daughter's portrait uh, of, of love and loss. And um, Nancy is a, a, a internationally uh, accomplished photographer. She's actually based uh, now um, on the island of Guam. I think you're our first ever uh, uh, radio show guest <laughs> who's, uh, uh, who's calling in from Guam, Nancy, but we're, um, we're thrilled to have you on the show. We're going to take a quick uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We have more to discuss with Nancy in her book, The Family Imprint, A Daughter's Portrait of Love and Loss. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, Visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Lily Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're talking today to Nancy Borowick with her uh, about her book, The Family Imprint, Daughter's Portrait of Love and Loss. Nancy is a regular contributor to the New York Times, and her photographs have been featured in CNN, National Geographic, Proof, Time Magazine, and Newsweek uh, Japan. Um, Nancy, did you always intend to share your parents' story with a larger audience? I mean, as you were going through that journey, as you were taking those photographs, was it this book in mind, this project? What, you know, Did you have a, a vision that this is how you would share it? Talk to us about that, that evolution. Oh my gosh, no. I had never intended to share mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, while I was photographing them and our family, it, it was really just for me. Um, I didn't think about what it could potentially be down the line. It was strictly for my own, you know, therapy and my own, you know, I, I think I was uh, trying to hold on to every single moment I could, I could before it was gone. Um, and so that was really my, my motivation. But, um, I remember, uh, meeting with a friend who's an editor and I said, you know, I'm, Time is time is of the essence. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Thinking like a photographer, like what if mm. I'm too close to the story and I'm not going to see something that's important? Mm. And she said to me, you know, have you shown this to anyone? This is really powerful and it'll mean a lot to people. And I, that was the first time I thought about it in in sort of that context. And um, so what I ended up doing was I I was a little nervous and scared to show it to anyone, and I submitted it to a contest. I thought, you know what, I does anyone really care? Does this mean anything to anyone besides me? Um, and I didn't win the contest, but one of the judges uh, on the contest was from the New York Times, and he reached out and he said, this story is so important, and it'll mean so much to people. I want to publish it. And then mm. that <laughs> that is how it all started. Um and the you know down the line that the thought behind putting this project into book form was that I felt like as as powerful as the project was that I photographed um, I really felt like I didn't want to I didn't want to like pit, uh, I didn't want to sort of put my parents in this box and say they were cancer patients because they were so much more I wanted mm-hmm. to tell our whole family story and to better understand how we got to the place where we were at the end of their lives, I needed to go back. And so the book is sort of a personal, it's a a little bit of a scrapbook, um, Mm. telling the, the, the backstory. So, so take our listeners through that for a minute, Nancy, go, go, go back for a minute or two to that story that you wanted to tell, maybe tell a story from the book or, or, or highlight a photo or a moment from the book that is, you know, one of the steps along that journey of your parents. Sure. Uh, so the book, uh, you know, the first image in the book is this one of my mother. She's sitting in the basement. Um, <laughs> uh, there are beams of sunlight streaming in through the window. She's wearing a happy New Year's um, celebration uh, headband. And she's also holding two, like, New, Year- New Year's pointy hats over her chest. Uh, sort of an homage to Madonna, perhaps, mm. but mm. she has this expression on her face where 
she just looks peaceful and she looks brave and she looks, you know, she, she just looks like her, but she, and she was so silly and we all kind of relied on humor to get us through the toughest moments. And so I start with that image because it, it, it sets the tone. And so the book carries, carries on telling the story of, um, of our lives in those last two years together. And I mix in, um, some old family photographs in, you know, a tribute to the old Borowick family albums with the, with the corners cut and, um, and, you know, the silly photographs and, uh, and even some of their, the cards that they wrote to each other, uh, to really better understand who they were, um, and, and their relationship together. Uh, every piece of this book is per- very personal to me. Even, even the end papers, when you open the book, there's this like beautiful orange design that is actually a photograph of the cover of our oldest family album from the seventies. If you can imagine that, um, and my hope was to to really bring them to life and and to share the lessons that they that they shared with us at the end of their lives. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, Nancy, you're an award winning photographer, photojournalist. Um, you've been all over the world. But did any of your prior work experience prepare you for this project? And I don't mean from a you know technical photographic you know point of view, but from an emotional. Uh, point of view. I mean, obviously, this is a whole nother ball game. But have you photographed sort of, you know, sort of difficult subject matter, emotional subject matter? Any and was there any experience that you brought brought to this that that was relevant? I think so. Um, I think that this project kind of happened and existed at the time that it did for a reason. Uh, when I started shooting, photographing my parents, I already had been kind of working in the industry for about four years as a freelance photographer. And a lot of my assignments at that point with, with a couple different newspapers um, were, you know, the subject matter varied and I would have to show up and I would have five minutes, I would have 10 minutes, I would have an hour with people. And because of that, you know, like I had to learn how to kind of separate myself a little bit, you know, and I didn't want to completely separate, but I had to be focused on the, the image making while learning about the story. You know, I photographed a family after their house burned down. I photographed a couple, um, a woman, this woman taking care of her husband who was dying of brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was working in, in Ghana with an organization that um, would rescue and rehabilitate children who had been trafficked. Like I, I was in many different situations where I, you know, I, I felt compassion. I felt empathy, you know, and I, I hoped that that would translate, but I, I was able to sort of put on my subconsciously put on my photographer's cap and, and kind of use what I was feeling to, to tell the story in my images. And I think that that equipped me, um, very much so when I started photographing my parents. Yeah, yeah. And and when you started planning the project and sort of were in, started to get engaged in this photography with them, did you have specific moments or things that you knew you wanted to capture or was the you know was the was the project more spontaneous? Um I you know there's a photo that I saw in the book that comes to mind of your father lying down in the back seat of the car, your mother driving. I'm not even sure how you got that photo at that angle. I mean, it was a, such an incredible photo, but you know, w- was it really sort of, you were just kind of walking down this road with them and you were capturing those images or were there things you had in your mind that you knew you wanted to capture? Well, so as a photographer, you, um, we all know that when you're working on a, 
on a project, it's the key is time and you need to spend time with your subjects. And, um, there was a moment when my dad, I was talking to my dad on the phone and I asked him what he was doing. And he said, you know, they were going grocery shopping, they were running some errands and then he was going to cut my mom's hair or shave my mom's head. And I was like, Oh no, like mm-hmm. it's so, it's so rare that your subject your subject quote, um, Mm -hmm. will tell you when something important is about to happen. And that's when I realized I needed to just be with them, you know, as much as possible. Cause it's those moments, those, I mean, that was a very visual moment, but I wanted to be there for all of the moments, the subtle moments, um, the quiet moments. And I, when I started this project, I think I thought it was about, it was really just about cancer and it was about them in treatment and taking care of each other. But I, I very quickly realized that it wasn't, you know, then this happens with all projects. You think it's about one thing and then it kind of reveals itself as something else. And I very quickly realized that the story that I was documenting and the story that I was living wasn't so much about the cancer as it was about their reaction, their, their relationship with each other, their personal relationships with themselves, their, their relationship to me as that my parents and, and how they kind of focused on living um, and mm-hmm. and taking advantage of the time they had left rather than kind of wallowing in their own um, sadness. And yeah. that was a really beautiful gift, I think, that yeah. they shared with me and my siblings. Mm. Nancy, we've only got a couple minutes into our next break here, but um, I, was, uh, I was on a road trip with my parents last week, and my mom told me about this moment when she was 10 or 11 and went to a little fair, and coming out of the fair – stepped out off the curb and was hit by a car. And I had never heard that story before. Oh and it gosh. kind of, you know, really surprised me. And I, I'm just wondering, as you were sort of doing this project, talking to your parents, going through so many of their things, you know, did you discover things about your parents that you hadn't known in the process of creating this book? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. There were so many different things, and I'm trying to think of one specific one. But I guess um, I it was very revealing to, to certainly to read their journals and to, to read the cards that they had written to each other. I think what I kind of came away with was just how much they lived for us, us kids. Um, Mm. it was always, it always would come back to like, well, I don't want to worry the kids or this is like, this is, this would be important because of the kids. And, um, I mean, I always knew that my, I mean, my dad, my parents loved each other, but my dad was very, was much more emotive <laughs> and expressive about it. So the cards that, you know, he writes to her are just like these like love, these like ridiculous love notes with, you know, million exclamation points and, and bold letters and, and in classic Howie style, he was just always above and beyond. And my mom was a bit more private, a bit, um, more subtle <laughs> and thoughtful. She would think a lot. She would think before she spoke when my, whereas my father would just blurt out what he was feeling. Um, and it just, it was interesting to see my parents as these young, as, as individuals, as not just my parents, but as these mm. two people and this, and in, in, in a relationship, they, you know, they met in their early twenties and, and they were just kids. So it's interesting to kind of use, see through that lens. It was interesting for me to see through that lens of of them at my age. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole new, it's a whole new discovery for sure. Um, (laughs) And certainly that sort of intensive and more intimate time with them, I imagine was um, incredibly revealing. A lot of folks don't, uh, don't get that. I'm talking Mm -hmm. today to Nancy Borowick. 
Her parents are both diagnosed with stage four cancers and died of their diseases. And Nancy is a uh, photographer, photojournalist, and she documented their cancer journey. And uh, those uh, beautiful and very touching and compelling photographs appear in her book, The Family Imprint, A Daughter's Portrait of Love and Loss. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We have a lot more to discuss with Nancy. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Gilead Sciences and Helsin Therapeutics. We're so lucky to have with us award-winning photographer Nancy Borowick, and she's telling us about her book, The Family Imprint, A Daughter's Portrait of Love and Loss. Nancy, did you always want to be a photographer? Tell us uh, about that inspiration. Oh, well, I've always loved photography, and um, I've always loved people and connecting with people. So the camera, you know, naturally over time became that tool that allowed me to do that. I've also just been, I've, I've always been very curious and, and a bit nosy. So it does let, it does let me in. Actually, when I was a kid, my, my mom, um, apparently got a phone call from one of my teachers to let her know that I was the class tattletale. And <laughs> I, I hear that now. And I think, well, that, that's awesome. That makes sense. Cause I love, I love, um, telling people's stories. I believe in fairness and justice. And I could totally see little Nancy just like advocate, like mean, meaning well <laughs> when <Yeah>. I was <laughs> paddle-tailing. So it, it, all these things kind of manifested um, as I got older and, and picked up the camera. Um, it became, it just was natural outgrowth of my arm, like I said, like we said earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you know, on the show, in this show, in the past, we've had guests join us from as far away as 
Australia, um, other other places, but we've never had somebody from Guam, which although is about 8,000 miles from the East Coast of the U.S. is actually still in the United States, which some folks might not know. But how does a New York City girl wind up in Guam, Nancy? Tell us. <laughs> so um, after my parents died, uh, my husband and I kind of looked at each other many times and said, you know, what are we doing? All we do is work. We're not living and we need to take an adventure. If there's one big lesson we took away from this whole thing is that life is short, as cliche as that is. And I am a ball of cliches, but I believe it's their cliche because they're true. Mm -hmm. So um, we thought, well, where could we live that would be far away enough that we could travel, you know, other parts of the world, um, but could still work. And we thought about the territories and Puerto Rico was too close. And I thought if we're doing this, we're doing this, you know, <laughs> and we found Guam and my husband found an opportunity here working as a clerk for the Supreme Court. Uh, he's a lawyer. And as a photographer, I can kind of pick up and, and work anywhere. So we thought, you know what, let's just take a chance and, you know, doors will close, but doors will open. And I, we've been here a year and a half now and I could not be happier. It's also 85 degrees and sunny out every single day. Nice. nice. I, um, I have a nephew who's a mariner and he's actually been to Guam on a ship. So yeah, totally. <laughs> so you're, you're the second person I know who's been to Guam. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to the book, Nancy, you've said, um, that your parents' story is both universal and unique. Um, and I, I certainly understand that working here at the cancer support community, but tell us what that means to you. So I say unique because it, this circumstance, both of them in treatment for stage four cancer at the same time, um, it, like I don't, I hadn't really heard that story all that much, especially not as a then 28 year old, um, but universal because it, I, from what I've been told um, and, and how I look at the story now, you know, whether it's cancer or another kind of illness or even, you know, what, like maybe even a breakup, it's there's a lot of shared human experiences, you know, that we can all relate to. There's, you know, family, there's loss, uh, there's life. And, um, I, I didn't realize just how, I guess, universal it was until I started to share it and people would, you know, I was getting emails by the dozen for years. I still, I mean, I still get emails mm -hmm. every week from people who are like, who, who, felt a connection to my story and they go on to then share their own and it becomes this conversation. I, when I was going through this again, I was 28. I didn't know many people in this exact situation. I felt, I felt kind of alone, but once we started to share the story and people would engage back, I, I've never felt more comforted. And I became part of this community that was, you know, imperative to my, to my being able to continue to, to, to be there for them and, and to continue to share because I knew I wasn't alone and that was yeah. encouraging for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so much a part of certainly our message at cancer support community is that, you know, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to feel alone. You know, that there are others you can connect with who are having a same or similar, uh, you know, experience. And I think you're so right. So much of humanity is around those common, uh, common experiences in some ways it what makes it, what it is, what makes us human and allows us you know, to really connect with one another. Um, so Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, really powerful. Um, Nancy, one of the most, to me, the most compelling photographs uh, in the book is of your parents sitting side by side, receiving their 
their chemotherapy treatment. And again, you know, that is a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty unique um, experience. I just, I want to take another moment to try to, you know, bring our listeners into the pages, uh, into the pages of the book. Do you have a favorite photograph or image or one or two that come to mind that you can tell our listeners about? Sure. I mean, the one that you just described is one of my favorites because it is, it was one of the first photographs I took in this whole project and whole series, you know, because I, I look at it now and I think, well, how, how strange, but how beautiful they're sitting in these chemo chairs side by side. And uh, it, to me, it talks, tells the story of their, their, their shared experience, but also their individual experience. Like they're in this together, husband and wife, best friends, but they're also, you know, my mother is a veteran cancer patient. So she mm-hmm. was reading a news, she was reading a magazine and kind of doing the bills. My father was struggling and, um, and they were kind of supporting each other, but kind of also experiencing this on in their in their own way, thinking about their own lives. Um, the other another image that is one of my favorites um, is this one image of the two of them. It's like kind of a very contrasty image of my mother and my father hugging, and um, I call it the embrace. And I that image is is important to me because not only you know technically I, it was. I was lucky that all the elements came together and it was, the light was beautiful and the moment was beautiful, but they kind of, they, to me, they were, they resemble each other. You know, they're both bare chested. They both really don't have any hair. They're kind of, they're so similar and so simple. Like, you know, it's, they're like the most simplified version of themselves and they sort of come together as this one unit. And it just, it was very harmonious. Um, And the, the circumstance too was kind of, strange and and funny how it all came to be because I had said, you know, I want to take this picture. This is me thinking like a photographer. I want to take this mm-hmm. picture of both of their porticaths side by side, like wedding rings or like not wedding rings, but like I was playing on that idea, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what situation would come about where they would both be, you know, shirtless. And mm-hmm. I mentioned it to my mom and then I said, you know what, never mind, forget it. I don't even know what I'm asking. And I walked away. Um, and I was in their room kind of taking pictures of like books and, and miscellaneous details. And they came upstairs. My mom took her shirt off and she said, let's do this. And so I actually, I took a picture and, and I cut off their heads like partially because I was so in, in shock. You know, mm. I'm their daughter. I asked for this um, this access and this vulnerability. And then when they gave it to me, I kind of panicked. But mm. this was the moment. This was the moment that followed. My dad kind of swooped my mom up into his arms. And it was just a really emotional moment for me. Um, and them, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nancy, how long did you spend documenting this journey? Um, I started photographing kind of around the time my dad was diagnosed. So December, 2012, and then he died December, 2013. She died December, 2014. They actually died 364 days apart. Um, and and then I continued shooting for another year because I, I photographed my life kind of after the fact, cleaning out our house, you know, mm-hmm. remembering them. Um, so about three years. But I also, when my mom had her second diagnosis, I was a student at the International Center of Photography in New York. And um, I had kind of started this project essentially back in 09 when I, she was my subject, my school, my like, my school subject when I was working on um developing and honing my skills as a photographer. So I had photographed her a little bit when she was in treatment that second time. Yeah. But the, yeah. but the most of the work is from, is from this, is from this point in time, the three yeah. years. 
Um, Nancy, we're coming towards the end of our time together. Um, I, I just, I want to ask you, was there ever a moment in time when you thought, I can't do this anymore? Or maybe you thought, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Did you ever have any, any doubts? Honestly, no. And if anything, it was uh, like when I would, I would find that I wasn't shooting something and um, I'd put my camera down, I would, you know, I'd have this like this physical reaction to what I was experiencing. So I would pick my camera up again. It's like, I needed it. I couldn't be mm. there without shooting. Mm. Um, there were certainly moments towards the end of my mom's life that I look back now and I realize that I didn't take that many photographs. Um, and I, and I reflect on that and wonder, you know, maybe subconsciously I was, I was beginning to accept and understand the reality that, you know, she was, she was, she was dying. And I maybe in some way was, distancing myself mm. I I noticed I, I've had time now to look back and and reflect on maybe what I had been experiencing and maybe what I was denying a little bit by by shooting um mm -hmm. but I think that's when reality really came into focus because my yeah. dad was gone and here was my mom she mm. was sick for so long that mm. we kind of this is terrible like this is crazy but we kind of just thought she'd be sick forever but she'd yeah. always be there yeah. you know it's, yeah, you it's you strange did. Yeah, yeah, you settle into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Nancy, I, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us, um, particularly since it's the crack of dawn in Guam. And I'm <laughs> um, imagining you sort of sitting there in, in shorts and a tank top with your dog at your feet. Um, <laughs> you imagine correct. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Excellent, excellent. The sun's shining through. Um, I, I really want to thank you uh, for telling us about your book, um, but even more for sharing your, your, your parents' wonderful wisdom um, uh, with us and, and the, the beautiful journey of your family. Um, I want to let our listeners know for more information about Nancy's book to find out how you can order the family imprint, a daughter's portrait of love and loss. You can visit Nancy Borowick.com. It's Nancy N A N C Y Borowick B O R O W I C K.com, uh, to find the book. Uh, I would encourage our folks to, um, uh, to grab the book, take a look at it. It's really a quite a beautiful, quite stunning, uh, quite stunning book. And uh, Nancy, I appreciate you joining us on Frankly Speaking About uh, Cancer today. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll be joined by Sean Hebel. He's a certified oncology social worker. Uh, he's the program director for the Cancer Support Community uh, in Delaware, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, about loss and about coping. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. 
The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Pharma, Janssen Oncology, and Taiho Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We just finished a wonderful conversation with photographer Nancy Borowick about a book she created uh, in honor of her parents. Joining us now is Sean Hebel, who is going to share with us some advice and insights about coping with the emotional challenges that many people face when their parent is living with cancer or has died of the disease. Sean is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified oncology social worker. He's been the program director for Cancer Support Community Delaware for over 20 years. He's held leadership positions on the Delaware State Board of Social Work Examiners and State Clinical Social Work Society. He's twice served on the National Board of the Association of Oncology Social Work, and he was the 2006 Oncology Social Worker of the Year for the Greater Delaware Valley Division of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Thanks for joining, Sean. My pleasure, Kim. So, Sean, having a parent approaching the end of their life is uh, certainly an extremely difficult time in so many ways. What do you think is important to know and understand about coming to terms with a parent's mortality? Well, one of the things I think that's important is it puts us in touch of our, with our own mortality. Uh, but I think that, you know, we even though it's part of the natural order of things for parents to go before us, I think it increases our vulnerability as humans to have uh, parents who are aging and getting sick. I also think it depends on where you are developmentally. You know, if you're a 20-year-old having a 45-year-old parent be sick versus a 45-year-old child with a 65-year-old parent, et cetera, I mean, I think that can alter some of the the different emotional responses to the parents being sick. And uh, I also think it depends on what kind of relationship you've had with your folks. You know, has it always been strained? Has it been a really good relationship? All of those things, I think, go into it, Kim. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, we heard from Nancy, certainly she found some, some therapeutic value in the, in the photography uh, that she did with her parents and, and following that difficult part of their um, journey. But what kinds of support can be helpful, you know, during this challenging time, Sean? 
Well, Nancy even talked about it being kind of an isolating experience, and I think it, it can be a very isolating experience. And so reaching out and trying to find um, emotional support in particular, but even physical support. Some, you know, some mm-hmm. adult children take care of their parents and are there, you know, not like Nancy was. Nancy was there behind the camera, but, you know, they, they may have had physical needs that uh, both parents or children would have needed to take care of as well. Um, and so there are cancer support groups, or the cancer support community offers weekly support groups for uh, caregivers, and there are other caregiving groups around the, the country that I would encourage people to, uh, to reach out for uh, and uh, be able to try to get that support if they can. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, I mentioned earlier in the show, Sean, we're, we're approaching Mother's Day, Father's Day. We're, we are bombarded with messages on TV, radio, inboxes, and CVS everywhere, um, uh, you know, about Mother's Day, about Father's Day. And, and I know this can stir up a lot of painful emotions for people who no longer have that loved one um, in their life. Can you suggest some coping strategies that could help particularly during those times? Well, I think, you know, as, as our parents age and die, I think one of the things that can be helpful for us is to look at, uh, you know, what our parents' life was uh, as it relates to a legacy. Um, you know, we honor our parents by doing something that reminds us of the, of the relationship on Mother's Day or on Father's Day, if, if you've lost that parent. You know, we had a situation once where a, an adult son uh loved, uh, his father loved to fish. And one of the things that they did on every uh, Father's Day after the father had died was he took his uh, his son, the, the person's grandson, fishing and talked about, you know, pop and pop, pop, and was able to just have a really nice memory of and keep the legacy of fishing and uh, uh, and, and alive in that family. Mm, that's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. Um Sean, you shared with me that, that both of your parents are are deceased. I know sometimes we hear the expression doctors make make the worst patients. Do do social workers make the worst caregivers? <laughs> were you could you draw on your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Could you draw on your experience to help you cope and be a good caregiver? Or did you know more than, than maybe you wanted to? You know, you might you might have to ask my sister that question. But uh, <laughs> the, the uh, uh, I thought I did pretty good. Now, my, my mom was, uh, you know, her, she, neither of my parents had cancer, but my, my mother had had a long, slow slide into dementia. And uh, it's, it's, so that's a, a disease that gradually takes your parent away from you. And, you know, honestly, her death was a relief. I happened to be holding her hand when she died. Uh, and I found great comfort in that at the moment and, and sense. Uh, whereas my dad, and you know, my mom was 87. She'd had, uh, you know, a pretty full life. What was hard with her was, uh, you know, she was this really body uh, Lower East Side New Yorker who lost the ability to communicate. And so I had to mm-hmm. grieve that loss before she died, and then also figure out what kind of relationship I wanted with her in her sort of vegetative state. And I think I was able to do that, I, and I think it helped being in the profession I'm in to be able to do that. My dad had a fall. He, he, he was sick for five weeks. He gave me permission. You know, this very independent uh, engineer. Uh, I said, Dad, we can get you more help in your home and try to keep you independent if you'll go home with hospice. Do you know what, that that's for people at the end of their life? And he looked at me and he said, let's face it, I'm at the end of my life. And uh, I think that gave me permission then to help uh, him. And we all took him home and all 15 of his all five of his kids, 15 of his grandkids, and 13 of his great-grandchildren celebrated his life for the last four days of it. So. Beautiful memory, yeah, yeah. Um, Sean, we're coming up 
um, to the to the end of our show. But if you could just help us with a couple tips for our listeners, if they're dealing with um, a parent who might be, uh, you know, might be ill, dealing with a serious illness, if you're you know, we've got folks who uh, maybe have recently lost uh, a parent, um, a parent to cancer. Just a couple tips for coping with some of those difficult times, Sean. Well, the biggest, I mean, the biggest tip I think is don't do it alone. Reach, reach mm-hmm. out and ask for help. This is, as Nancy pointed out, an isolating time. Uh, get as much support as you can from your family, from your friends. If you've got a specific faith tradition. Uh, anything uh, connecting to spirituality can help at that particular point as well. Um, I love that Nancy was able to photograph uh, her, her parents. I mean, we don't all have the ability to be a, a photojournalist, but mm-hmm. whatever talent we have, uh, look in and find out and share that with your parents and, uh, and with everyone else as uh, you're in that important part of your life. Yeah, really great advice, Sean. Uh, thank you for that, and 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 a, and a thanks again to uh, to Nancy for sharing her story and and, and the beautiful book. Um, uh, it's my my pleasure to have you join, Sean, for frankly speaking about cancer. It's been uh, certainly a great show today and a, a great conversation. I just want to remind uh, our listeners about the cancer support community. We've got a whole host of uh, free resources for people with cancer, any cancer at any stage of their illness. And and as Sean pointed out, uh, for the caregivers and loved ones uh, of people with cancer, um, I just want to mention we have 47 centers uh, around the country where uh, you can come for free services, support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, You can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's www.cancersupportcommunity.org to learn about uh, our many uh, free services. We've got support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction for people with all cancers and their loved ones. So to find one of our centers, visit us. Or if you'd like to pick up the phone and call one of our counselors right now, we have a helpline. It's staffed by professional folks like uh, uh, like Sean, social workers and, and other professionals. Uh, that's a toll-free number, and it's 888-793-9355. Again, if you're grabbing a pen, that is 888-793-9355. Or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. We want folks to know that you do not uh, have to face cancer alone. Appreciate everyone listening in uh, to this great show and conversation today. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tivaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. support community.org.